Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. We start today with the tweeter-in-chief. Yeah, he was at it again yesterday. Uh, You know, he watches the news, and then he picks up his phone and tweets, and that's the way uh, I think we're going to see this country being governed, this country being run uh, for the next four years. It's going to be 140 words, 140 characters a day, uh, depending on what the tweeter-in-chief gets pissed off about at any one time. I I think he gave us a good... style of governing. I think he gave us a good example of what kind of president he's going to be and how he's going to use Twitter. Uh, When he tweeted um, last week, you know, if the media were being just being fair about me, I wouldn't have to tweet as much. (laughs) Yeah, right. And, you know, like he's got millions and millions and millions of followers on Twitter. So whatever he says is gospel to them. He says, if press would cover me accurately, accurately and honorably, I would have far less reason to tweet. Sadly, I don't know if that will ever happen. So this is his news outlet. Yeah, this is it. This is his. This is his network, uh, if you will, right, his tweet. So uh, yesterday's tweet, he saw a story uh, reporting that the cost of Air Force building a new Air Force One could go as high as $4 billion, and Donald Trump immediately, this is, of course, Boeing, these are American jobs, Donald Trump immediately tweets out, uh, he's got a problem with this. Boeing is building a brand new 747 Air Force One for future presidents, but costs are out of control. More than $4 billion. Cancel order. Cancel order. And Boeing's stock dove into the toilet yesterday. Uh, ba- no, no wonder, uh, based on that announcement. This is thousands, of course, as I said, of American jobs. But here's the point. Boeing points out, that, first of all, there are only two companies that can build uh, Air Force One. It's Boeing or Airbus, right? So already we got a problem. <laughs> We're going to take it away from Boeing, cancel the order with Boeing. Who's going to build it? France? Right. Really? Really? This is, this is a guy, wait, <laughs> this is a guy who's rightfully complaining about too many jobs going overseas, too many companies sending jobs overseas. In effect... He's sending a lot of jobs overseas if he follows through, which, of course, is, is always a question about Donald Trump. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, Boeing points out that whatever speculation there is about what the final cost on this project is, so far, they only have a $170 million contract with the Air Force to study the uh, the existing Air Force One. Mm and the safety measures that are built into Air Force One to protect the President of the United States and to suggest how they could be improved, how they could be strengthened in the next Air Force One. So there's no $4 billion spent. There's no $4 billion agreed to uh, at the present time. The other thing Donald Trump may not realize is 
that there are, in fact, two Air Force Ones. You always have to have a backup, right? And so this is not just the one plane, this is two. All right, now let's talk about the $4 billion, right? First of all, I got to tell you, what is what price tag do you put on the head of the President of the United States? Uh, and, and, and the stability or the instability that would be caused by losing the President of the United States. We've seen this. We've survived it. But what a hell of a you know, tragedy uh, and traumatic experience to have to go through. Uh, and so are we really saying it's not worth $4 billion to give the president not just a good ride? That's not what Air Force One is all about. What Air Force One is all about is a flying fortress, right? First of all, it has the president of the United States can completely govern the country, got all the communication tools that he needs on Air Force One, and all the protection that he needs. We don't know what's built into Air Force One or what they plan to build into Air Force One. We really don't know. But there are rumors about that this is a plane that you cannot bring down with a missile or would be very difficult, that there may be missiles, in fact, on the plane, that there's radar jamming equipment. We don't know. All we know is the latest and the most secure systems anywhere in the world, ever, 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 are on Air Force One. And damn it, it seems to me, no matter who the president is, we want it there. Yeah, Trump's got a nice plane right now with gold-plated fixtures. Well, BFD, <laughs> that's not what it's all about, right? I'm sure he's got a very, very comfortable bed and a very comfortable shower. And you Sure. Know, yeah, it's prob- it probably looks like his penthouse, which looks like a whorehouse to me. Uh, with his taste, but... Pff, can uh, he run the country from that? Can can it, run, is it a flying no, fortress? Can he run the country from that? Absolutely not, right? So, you know, I, 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 think, I think one thing that most Americans will agree, whatever it costs to protect the President of the United States and the first family of the United States, and whatever, uh, whatever you know, sophisticated, um, very, very secure Air Force One that we have is worth it. Yeah. So Donald Trump comes down to the lobby yesterday, uh, and again, reporters say, hey, dude, are you serious? Are you serious <laughs> about this? Of course he is. This morning about canceling the contract for the new Air Force One, is that something you're serious about trying to do? Well, the plane is totally out of control. It's going to be over $4 billion ah, stop saying for that. Air Force One program. No, he says it. And uh, I think it's ridiculous. I think Boeing is doing a little bit of a number. We want Boeing to make a lot of money, but not that much money. Yeah. Boeing so, yesterday had to come. Boeing had to come out yesterday and say we had no. no idea where this is coming from. Yeah. Right. We have no idea where this is coming from. They got a. They have a hundred and seventy million dollar contract. That's what the contract's for. Hundred seventy million. Yeah. Not right. four billion. No. Hundred seventy million. Right. So uh, there it is again. It's the it's the uh, out of control guy on his tweet. But you know what he doesn't realize again. This is now the president-elect of the United States, and what he says does matter. Back to Air Force One for just a second. We saw how important this this um, capacity of Air Force One is on September 11th, when President Obama, President Bush, rather George W. Bush, gets the news, famously down at that elementary school uh, in Florida. Uh, and what can he do? He can't come back to Washington. Right. Because Washington's under attack. There's a plane that went into the Pentagon. There's another plane that was headed for the Capitol, we believe, that went down on a field of Pennsylvania. 
in Pennsylvania. Nobody knew what was going on. It was total chaos. Could not bring him back to Washington. The White House wasn't safe. The, where did the president govern? Where did President Bush run the country from? Air Force One. Yep. And he had total communication capacity with every branch of the government. Uh, he could do his job. He could run the country from Air Force One. That's what Air Force One it is. basically the flying government of the United States. Yeah. All right. Now, we're really going to, uh, first of all, again, we don't know the $4 billion is something Donald Trump made up, but we, we want to cut pennies when it comes to protecting the president of the United States. And yeah. I might also add, this is the same guy who is out there like he did last night in Fayetteville, North Carolina, promising that he's going to spend gazillions and gazillions and gazillions of dollars, whatever the Pentagon wants, to rebuild our military, and yet now he's nickel and diming Air Force One. doesn't make any sense at all. You made a good point, by the way. This isn't just about protecting the president and making sure that the president has a comfortable and safe place no. to be. It, you know, you talk about the family members, right? There are often members of Congress, people who fly in Air Force One, they're journalists. There are a lot of other people who fly on it than, than just the president. And what's the cost of keeping those people safe in a with a highly uh, valuable target to some people on board? Whatever whatever it costs. Yeah. I don't care. Whatever it takes. Yeah, no. I don't care. Right. George Bush should have had George W. Bush should have had the best Air Force One he could have possibly had. Me, Barack Obama, the same thing. Let me tell you. Let's say I accept the fact that Donald Trump is going to be the next president of the United States. Whatever it costs for the beast, that means the car that he rides in, right? Which is also heavily fortified. Yeah. By the way, if he wants to ride in a Volkswagen, no, right? Ride, ride around a little VW Bug, no. Right. You're in the beast. Whatever it costs for the beast, I don't care. Whatever it costs for the Secret Service to protect him at the White House or whenever he goes, I don't care. Whatever it costs for Air Force One, I don't care. It's the presidency, uh, president of the United States. It's the American people that we're protecting by making sure we have a secure Air Force One. And we welcome uh, one of our uh, regular members. He's here often enough. We almost we do consider him part of the team. Adam Wolner from the National Journal uh, covers politics, Congress, and all other good things. Hello, Adam. Good morning, Bill. Thanks for having me back on. Good to see you. Uh, indeed. Who knows? What reception Donald Trump is going to get on Capitol Hill for some of his cabinet appointees? You've been talking right. to members of Congress. Um, any bumps in the road uh, for Donald Trump ahead? Well, you know, we've all been kind of watching this really, you know, public campaign play out for his Secretary of State pick. It's been kind of odd. You know, one, Donald Trump has really been kind of trotting them all out in front of the press, you know, bringing them in for, for meetings. You know, he is. He is. You know, yeah. Mitt Romney, David Petraeus, Rudy Giuliani, John Bolton, John uh, Bob, Bob Corker. Yeah, now John Huntsman. It feels like every day there's a new name that's thrown into the mix. Right. He's not narrowing it down. No, he's yeah, yeah, exactly. It. The short list is, is getting uh, bigger by the day, and, you know, that's obviously a very big and important cabinet pick, uh, and it's one that, that uh, will be – we don't know exactly when to expect it, but, but you think he'd want to make it here sometime before before the holidays. And, and you know, one senator that's been particularly outspoken on the Secretary of State pick has been Rand Paul. You know, we know that he's someone who, was, who holds very unique views on foreign policy within his party. You know, he was very outspoken on that during the Obama years, and, you know, every indication so far is that he's not really going to be changing just 
because all of a sudden a Republican is going to be in the White House come come January. So what does that mean for uh, uh, like a David? Pat- has he spoken out, Rand Paul, against any one any particular? Yeah, he, he's spoken out on just about everybody at, at the moment. He is adamantly opposed to Rudy Giuliani and John Bolton, and that could be a problem for for Donald Trump if he would end up picking one of those those men because he sits on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. The way that that committee is structured right now, 10 Republicans, nine Democrats, and the Secretary of State pick is going to have to go through that committee before we get to a, a full Senate vote. So if all nine Democrats and Rand Paul joins them in in opposition to one of, you know, to either a Bolton or a Giuliani, obviously that's going to cause some problems. Uh, he's expressed some misgivings about David Petraeus, saying, you know, after all of, you know, the, the grief that we gave Hillary Clinton over her handling of classified information, how could we confirm someone like David Petraeus with, with a straight face? That's the way he put it. Uh, it sounds like he, he's open to Bob Corker, who's the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, so a colleague of Rand Paul's. It sounds like he's open to him. And he, he's even uh, raised some questions about Mitt Romney, saying he'd like to hear more about what he has to say about the, the Iraq war. Uh, one of the reasons Rand Paul said he endorsed Donald Trump, who's, you know, I don't know if you'd really consider him a very libertarian minded uh, Republican, was that he has, even though he may have been in support of the Iraq war in the first place, he now views it as a mistake. And Rand Paul says he wants to ensure that Donald Trump surrounds himself with advisors and cabinet picks that share that same view. Right. There is a question, um, uh, not just with Secretary of State, but with the appointments across the board, uh, as to what Democrats are going to do about them. Uh, this this question came up at the White House um, briefing on Monday, and um, Josh Ernest pointed out that with Loretta Lynch, she had to wait longer to get a hearing, even to get a hearing, than seven of her predecessors combined. The time they had to wait, combined it all, and she waited longer than seven. Uh, Merrick Garland, of course, mm-hmm. didn't get, never did get a hearing. Um, uh, in the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, President Obama's nominee for the Supreme Court. So uh, could Democrats do a little payback here? Is there any talk about that and slow walk these nominees? Yeah, that, that's definitely a possibility, especially you know considering that you know Republicans will have only a 52-48 uh, majority come come January. So you, you know with these picks need a supermajority of 60 votes, some Democrats are going to have to come in and side with with the Republicans, and and I'm sure at least some Dem- Democrats will. But um, you know I, I, this certainly is something that, that they're talking about right now, and and they would. You know, they would use some of the examples that you just just pointed to that. Well, yeah. listen, you know, uh, the Republicans did this to us when we were in power. Why not do it right back to them, especially if they do act, really have some some problems with some of these nominees? You know, you saw uh, Ben Carson was announced this week for, for HUD. I was going to ask you and, about particularly. And, you know, and, and that's Carson. and that's someone that has, you know, a lot of Democrats and, and probably even some Republicans. Maybe they won't say this publicly. Aren't sure he's really qualified for, for that job. So even if they maybe don't ultimately you know, let's maybe they don't ultimately you know block these nominations by filibustering them, but the, the they can at least cause a lot of headaches for these nominees and for the Trump administration during the the, the hearing process. You know, when when these nominees have to come before the Senate and and face questions, that 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 is an area I think where de- Democrats at the very least can can cause some problems for them. It is the season. I spent a good deal of time yesterday. Uh, online, doing some Christmas shopping online. Uh, so I encourage you to do the same. And one of the places to start is our own website, BillPressShow.com. And click on, when you go there, click on Carol Press Scarves. And look, 
what you will see, a beautiful scarf like this one. This is a rayon chenille. You see a red and black. I love these colors. Uh, but there are lots of colors and designs and styles to choose from, all hand-woven by my wife, the one who has talent in the family, uh, Carol Press, either in rayon chenille or bamboo. Check them out, BillPressShow.com, Carol Press um, Scarves. And uh, I'll tell you, one guy who will look great in a brand-new scarf is Congressman Dan Kildee I must from get one. Michigan. I absolutely must get one. now. how I, are I, you? I don't know if there is one that matches the sackcloth I've been wearing <laughs> since November 8th. But... She's got a black and gray okay. that might look, like, right. might look more like a burial shroud. Right. Is that what you right. need? Congressman, it's good to see you. Good thanks see for you. coming thanks. in. Thanks for having me back. What happened to Michigan? It was tough. I mean, I think we lost a lot of those folks that are our people, uh, folks who are generally open to our economic message, who are uncertain about their future, didn't hear the kind of clarity from the Democratic message on that issue, you know. There was not. A, I don't think anyone can say that there was the the consistency uh, up and down the ticket on an economic message that was mm-hmm. that, where people actually heard themselves in the conversation. Um, and you know, it's any one thing changing. We can't blame the refs on this one, but any yeah. one thing changing, and we're talking about how we squeaked out a win. Um, Ten thousand votes. Ten thousand huh? votes Almost in Michigan. Ten thousand seven oh four to be precise, but. It, what the irony of it is, uh, it seems to be encouraging, is the, the people whose votes we lost in Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and other states um, are the people that have been helped more by the Democrats than the Republicans. No question I mean, look about at the it. auto jobs in Michigan that came back thanks to Barack Obama. Republicans fought that every step of the way. I think we make a mistake assuming that people know that when it comes to these fights, we are always on their side. Minimum wage, health care, right down the line. Yeah, and the other side is always going to side with those corporate interests at the very top, always. We know that, but we can't operate on the assumption that folks who don't think about politics at all, all they're trying to do is get through their day. Yeah. And then they see us and it's a big blur, unless we are, are articulating that and doing it repetitively over and over again and demonstrating it, uh, folks don't know, and they won't know unless we tell them. And that's what campaigns are for. That's what yeah. they should be for. So, I mean, I, I, I like I say, I don't think we can blame the refs. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can blame Comey, no. although he fouled it up. I yeah, mean, there's sure a lot yeah. of things sure. that Sure, there happened. are so many right. factors, right. Yeah. so yeah. many factors that didn't help. No, right. in the end, uh, Democrats lost an election never should have lost. That's right. Um, how... What's the latest on Flint? Uh, you know, we've talked about it yeah. so much, and the, the idea of getting some some significant funding, some help to Flint, Michigan, is it going to happen? I believe it will, and you know, we're getting down to the wire here. On, yeah. Thursday, on yeah. Thursday, uh, we will have on the floor of the House the Water Resources Bill, and we will have the continuing resolution. I have been negotiating this on the House side. Senator Stabenow and Senator Peters have been relentless on the Senate side. We now have an agreement that the authorization for the money will be in the Water Resources Bill. The appropriation will be in the continuing resolution. And that will provide $170 million of relief. You know, there are things that come up, speed bumps, hurdles, whatever you want to call them. There's another one now that has emerged as a result of some language on California drought uh, relief that 
Kevin McCarthy and Dianne Feinstein have mm-hmm. been able to put into this legislation that it's somewhat controversial. I think we'll overcome that problem, but it just seems like every time we get close with Flint, there's some reason or some hurdle that we have to overcome. Is there any organized opposition to providing help for Flint, or is it just kind of bureaucratic? There's some organized opposition within the Republican conference. Yeah. There is. Now, we've been able to overcome that. I uh, offered an amendment that sort of, on the House side anyway, got us on the record to support Flint, $170 million for Flint. Every Democrat voted for it, and 101 Republicans voted in favor. Yeah. Um, And I've been working across the aisle on this. And it's one of those stories. Well, it's, it's, it's something I, I would one would think, right, like the Zika virus, that yeah. would not become a partisan issue. It shouldn't. Yeah. And we should not have had to fight for a year to get to the point that we're now at, at the end of a Congress, literally on the last day this Congress will be in session. Yeah, we're tomorrow... Finally, uh, uh, we're finally going to get this done. In theory, at least, tomorrow everybody goes home and it's all over. We've got right? some. We've got a little bit of distance left, left to go, but we're getting there. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. One of the big questions is, I mean, for a president-elect who says and makes a point of hating the media, even attacking members of the media by name, what is the role of the media going to be under the new Trump administration? Uh, we take a lot of our cues from Media Matters for America. We get a lot of our information every day from Media Matters for America, whose new president, Angelo Corazon, joins us here in studio. Angelo, good to see you. Nice to see you as well. Let, let me ask you a, a fundamental question. Do you think there will be press briefings, regular press briefings at the White House? Under I think Donald they'll be Trump? very, very different. Um, and if you and here's why. One, if you look at the people that have been speculated for the role of press secretary, they're both incredibly aggressive and hostile toward uh, the media, um, and as well as the role of the White House press corps. Those people are Laura Ingram. Uh, and Monica Crowley, uh, both of whom are far right. Uh, they are. They really do have. And Laura uh, Ingram met with Trump yesterday. That's right. Um, and sh- she's looking for a larger role, but will settle for the press secretary role, as she said repeatedly. Um, but both of them have repeatedly attacked the White House press corps. Um, but beyond that, the larger right wing media have been, especially Sean Hannity. He's been leading this charge, but Laura Ingram's been right there in eliminating the White House press briefings entirely um, and getting rid of that relationship. So I think that's a part of it. Um, even if they exist, though, I think they'll be very different. So, for example, typically White House Pres- uh, a Correspondents Association deals with the credentialing, not the White House. Yeah. Um, but there is precedent or uh, that the that the the White House press corps, uh, you know, team can invite somebody who's non-credentialed. We saw that during the Bush administration yeah, with Jeff Gannon. Right. right. Um, oh, geez, and I wow. think that, and, it, and you know, we monitor uh, a lot of these sort of fringy Donald Trump streams, and they've all been bragging about the fact that they are going to be sitting inside the White House press briefing rooms. None of them are credentialed, um, nor would they qualify for 
for press credentials under these circumstances. And so I think Trump's going to flood it, even if he does exist, with his own people who will get the, the chances to ask friendly questions and drown out the rest of the press team there. And these are voices who are so far to the right of Fox News, they almost make Fox News look mainstream. That's right. They don't. They think Fox News is sort of in the tank for the liberal agenda. I mean, they, this is where they sit on the spectrum. And beyond that, and, and it, I think it's important to point out that many of these voices, they're 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 uh, uh, they're not really media figures, even right wing media figures. They're not asking questions. They're really just providing platforms for raw feeds mm. of Donald Trump or his surrogates. And we saw that during the campaign in October when he was you know, when he started doing Trump TV on his Facebook page. These are the mm. same people that were behind Trump TV. Um, this is this isn't media. This isn't even conservative media. This is propaganda. So and, you're saying we could see a Breitbart news, for example, in the White House. Certainly. And Breitbart, of all the publications, they're the only one that have actually put in and have tried to get uh, and go through the credentialing process um, because they want permanent Senate press gallery credentials as well. But the other ones think that they're just going to get an override from Trump's team and sit in the press briefing room. Now, what does this mean for Media Matters? Because, uh, you know, your founder, David Brock, uh, has been in many times good friend. Mm -hmm. And um, he actually wrote a book about the war on, I don't know, it was Fox's war on media matters yeah. rather, rather than the other way around. But a, a big focus of yours has been on Rush. Uh, and again, I know because we use a lot of your stuff, right? Yeah. On Rush Limbaugh, on Glenn Beck when he was at his heyday, uh, and on Fox News mm -hmm. and the misinformation we hear from them. Um, so does this change, this, this new reality change the focus of media matters at all? The mission remains the same, but the way that we carry out will be different. Um, and that's that's always the case, especially if you're 12 years old. We should always be adapting. Sure. Um, yeah. And I think that in, over the course of our history, what we've done is look at places um, or individuals that are influential in the information ecosystem and that are part of really amplifying and weaponizing conservative misinformation. And sometimes in the past, that's been Rush Limbaugh. Um, there was a period where Glenn Beck was a big part of that, when mm -hmm. Fox News was a part of that. Mm -hmm. um, and Fox News was a really a big focus, not just because they had a bent and because they were so biased and deceitful, but because of where they fit in the landscape. What we found is that a lot of the, you know, this fake news stuff that everybody's talking about, we've been monitoring this for years. It's not new. Um, the difference is, is that it, do, it no longer has to work its way up the food chain in order to reach a wide audience. Previously, you know, it would have to sit into the right wing blogosphere, these message boards, but eventually it would make its way on Fox and Friends. And then they mm -hmm. would talk about every show on Fox News. And eventually the rest of the media would start to pick up on these things. And that's how it infected our conversation. Whereas now, that stuff doesn't need Fox News as a gatekeeper in order to get access to a wide audience. They can just distribute it themselves um, because of the way consumption habits have changed and technology. So what we need to do is recognize where the gatekeepers are, um, who the bad actors are, and adjust our monitoring and work accordingly so that we can neutralize its effects or stop it from you know, really being amplified. And doesn't uh, Comet Pizza prove oh, your man. point? Totally. Um, you know, I this mean, this, a, this did not start on Fox and no, Friends, right? No, definitely the, not. This and never made it to the, I don't believe, the mainstream media. No. Um, in fact, and it's a perfect example of how this kind of, inf how these organizing systems work, because 
what happened is is that there were media platforms, uh, some of which are allied with Trump's with, with Trump's campaign and now his incoming like administration, Alex Jones. Like, like Alex Jones. Um, and then what they do is they would occasionally talk about this, but really this story was on 4chan, which is an extremist message board uh, where a lot of white nationalists organize and other bad actors. What's it called? Uh, 4chan. It's a, a basically a community with no rules, mm-hmm. um, and it provides total anonymity. Uh, and they self-organize there, and then they move to places like Reddit and Twitter. Um, there's a there's a community on Reddit called the Donald, which is where all of these conspiracies sort of percolate, as well as Alex Jones. Alex Jones talks about it. These communities then go back. They spend another week churning out conspiracies, and the cycle continues. Uh, and this is exactly what we saw here: is that they were building this story for months. I mean, it really was getting a lot of traction online. So for most of America, this was a brand new thing. But for a lot of people who overlap with Trump's core and most fervent supporters. This has been a story that they've been talking about for for months. Actually, this was nothing new for them. In that com- in, in those uh, th- that conversation or whatever you would call it, was there any hint that this is something that people should take on as their own responsibility? I mean. Uh, any hint of violence toward Common Pizza to step in and stop this because authorities will not? Or or did this guy who eventually did it just go off on his own decide to do it? Well, shortly before this guy took action, uh, one of the more influential voices, um, uh, who's sort of, again, a social media person, um, put up a post basically offering a couple thousand dollars um, for anybody that would do an investigation uh, into it themselves. Mm. So they weren't saying go out and solicit violence, but the point is is that they were escalating and encouraging it. And this is the same pattern that we saw during the campaign. A lot of the smears about, you know, uh, where people were wearing shirts or holding up signs saying Bill Clinton is a rapist, those people were actually getting $5,000 from Alex Jones, who set up a fund for $100,000 for anybody that could get that message out on cable news or other major television. Um, and the idea is it's it incentivizes, one, there's a clear incentive, mm-hmm. but two, once they do that, it gets more attention. It shows that the model works. And there's this pattern of doing this where they basically ins- reward people for taking matters into their own hands or escalating. Or really what they're doing is taking these online activities um, and moving them offline. Right. Now, I mean, to monitor these sources, though, for on the part of medium, it must be a lot more challenging, a lot more difficult. Totally. Because, I mean, who are they? Where are they? There's so many of them. It's not like you just turn on your cable TV and there they are. Right? Yeah. And, and I think that one of the big things that we'll have to do is actually, in a way, get back to where what Media Matters was doing in 2005, which was, you know, back then, uh, there were, we had, there were, you couldn't record multiple versions of television mm, publishing right. video on the internet was actually difficult um yeah, it was yeah. N- new yeah um right. and what media matters had to do at that time was invest in technology custom technology so that they could do the work um and I, we're back at that point now where we're having to develop our own technologies for helping us um, and facilitating some of the expertise that our researchers have, but actually putting it into these systems so that we can ingest all of these conversations, analyze them in a more effective way instead of adding another 100 staff, um, which would be one approach. The other approach is to do what we we did in our founding, and that's invest in some technologies that's unique to our mission in order to do our work. Again, uh, President Obama, we were talking about um, uh, this uh, Mar-a-Lago and hiring all these foreign workers uh, down there, which he has done for year after year after year. 
uh, even more ironic that last night at his uh, victory rally in Fayetteville, North Carolina, uh, the president made a point of saying, uh, we're going to be protecting, protecting American jobs. We're going to defend American jobs. And we have to look at it almost as a war. Yeah, he says, defend American jobs. And he said, people have to buy American and make American and hire American. This is the man who is not hiring American when it comes to his own property. We know of Mar-a-Lago. And now I would hope some other news organizations uh, would take the time to look into uh, every Trump Tower in the country uh, to see how many foreign workers are working there. Uh, and his big uh, golf course up in New Jersey yeah. for the same thing. But I bet you'll find across the board there are hundreds and hundreds of uh, foreign workers in Donald Trump's properties taking jobs from Americans, which gets again to uh, what the impact might be if Donald Trump goes through with his threat yesterday when it comes to Air Force One to cancel the order. Christina Wilkie has been reporting on that for Huffington Post who slips into the studio here. Hi, Hi Christina. Hello, Hi, folks. Christina. <laughs> sorry, sorry for the traffic I problem. ran the last few blocks. Uh, nice to see you. Thank nice. you for coming. Sorry in. for the traffic problems this morning. But So what? What? what's up with this tweet yesterday saying, Air Force Force, Air Force One, it's going to cost $4 billion to get a new one, cancel the order. Out of control, he wrote. Yes, um, this was a tweet put out by Donald Trump first thing in the morning yesterday, completely out of the blue where he targeted an enormous American manufacturer for what seemed as though uh, apparently no reason and accused basically Boeing of of overcharging for the for their Air Force 1 contract which Boeing will build over the next 10 years um, but there's no there's no numerical basis, firstly, in the number that he chose in four it's billion. Sort of like saying three million people voted illegally, right? Exactly, There's, and yeah. it and it prompted pushback from the Air Force, which, in my experience, I don't know that I've ever seen a branch of the military directly contradict a president or a president-elect <laughs> like this. It also prompted pushback from Boeing, which has begun working on how you know Air Force One gets replaced every 30 years. So our current Air Force One, two, these two planes are 25 years old. Right. It's time for new ones. This is to protect the president. And so Boeing has started working on them. And, and, I th- and Boeing says so far all they have is a $170 million contract. Exactly. Right? This so is, where does this $4 billion number come from? I mean, that's this is a question that Donald Trump's people haven't yet answered fully. Because I, I, mean, I was waiting for them to say, like, somehow, some convoluted, weird, Trumpy math. Right. That they could get to the $4 billion and explain it, but they haven't yet, right? No. So it's just, it literally has come out of thin air. Yes. Okay. And I think they're... Right, just to be clear. Right, right, right. So it's out of thin air. Yeah, okay. But, but I think the scary thing here, really, is that you have... He's not yet in office, of course, so so the notion that he could, quote, cancel such an order is, you know, is, is fantasy at this point. But here you also have an incredibly powerful person picking a winner and loser. You have a, the President of the United States going out... Single American company, which breaks an unwritten rule of the presidency, which is that the president of the United States should be the biggest backer of American businesses and American manufacturing. 
And I mean, the, if you notice, President Obama does not call out individual companies by name. You just don't do that. He also doesn't say the U.S. markets are are tanking or crashing. You know, he's got to be the cheerleader for the nation's manufacturers. And Boeing creates tens of thousands of jobs. Well, my understanding is that there are only two companies that could build this plane, Boeing or Airbus. Exactly. So are these going to be American jobs or French jobs? Right. Um, and and Boeing is in a long-term competition with Airbus. And and Boeing is also working very closely with the Chinese. Um, and and what might have prompted this tweet, if you want to, again, you know, just like Trump, the Trumpian math, we can yeah. go mm-hmm. backwards and maybe look at what might have of inspired Trump. Earlier in the day yesterday, um, the Chicago Tribune published an interview with the CEO of Boeing where he basically called on Congress and the president-elect to tamp down the anti-trade message. Boeing does an enormous amount of business with China. It sells, I think it has a $38 mm-hmm. billion dollar deal right now to build its planes for the Chinese market. And those those are American jobs that are going to be building the planes. And But they dared to criticize the, the president-elect's trade policy. And so you could actually look at this and say this is retaliation, which is really scary. Uh, yeah, right. By company, by company, by company. Company almost. by company for yeah. for speaking out against the president, and you know, and and so the message the companies get is shut your mouth, which is contrary to the way the way America does business. Uh, one of our callers earlier suggested that one of the reasons that Donald Trump uh, is kind of um, turning on Air Force One, maybe he doesn't want to use Air Force One, maybe he wants to continue to use his plane. Um, so he could charge the government for the use of his plane. I mean, that is... <laughs> I uh, will put nothing beyond the president-elect. He charged his campaign for the use of his plane. A lot of money. He's charging the government for office space in Trump Tower. He charged uh, the Secret the... Service to ride on his plane and protect him yeah. during the campaign. You know, right. so... so this could be part of a money-making scheme. Right. Uh, but his plane, no matter... How sweet it is. Ain't no Air Force One. Ain't no Air Force One. It does not have a special coating to prevent thermonuclear attack. It does not have incredibly classified information systems on it. And that's actually what the Air Force is beginning to develop now. So this initial contract is really about bringing this 30-year-old plane and plane model up into the the very modern age, not only so that it has anti-hacking technology, which is incredibly important now as more yeah. and more state-sponsored hacking takes place, but also so that the president could withstand any kind of a potential attack, a threat to his life while he's in the air. It's a vulnerable and, place for the president to be, if you think right. about it. Yeah, and he could actually run the entire country from Air Force aloft, exactly. from Air Force One. Exactly. I mean, all the all the equipment that necessary is there. Uh, and the idea that, as you pointed out, that that Air Force One today, the president is operating with communication systems that are very sophisticated, but are 25, 26, 30 years old. Yeah. Yes. You, you would think I want I want the president of the United States to have the latest. Right. Yeah. Right. And well, and when you think about it, the I don't pe- care what it costs. But the, exactly. But the Pentagon. I mean, when you think about the Defense Department's budget, we're talking there's a 200 billion dollar arms yeah. you know, arms contract done in a snap. So the notion that the president is nickel and diming. On you know on his own plane is it seems so penny wise and pound foolish. That's the phrase. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. 
when um, grandmother used to use. Right. Penny wise and pound foolish. Yeah. Now it's coming. So this from is the, the, the commander in chief. Pe- not yet. The the commander in chief elect. <laughs> for, <laughs> <right>. Forgive okay. <laughs> me. The parting shot with Bill Press. This is the Bill Press Show. So as we've been talking this morning, when it comes to protecting jobs, Donald Trump says one thing, but he does another. Yep, down at Mar-a-Lago, according to the Palm Beach Daily, instead of hiring Americans, the Trump Trump got uh, the Trumpster got federal approval for importing 64 foreign workers. Not only that, he's paying them slave wages. And all this at the time that Trump was attacking Carrier for shipping jobs to Mexico. But seriously, what's the difference between sending jobs to Mexico or hiring foreigners and bringing them here? Either way, Americans lose their jobs. And it's not like there are no Americans willing to work at Mar-a-Lago. There's a program called Career Source in Palm Beach County whose whole purpose is to find local jobs for American workers. And in the last 10 years, Donald Trump has hired only one, one banquet server. Yep, on American jobs, like everything else, we are learning that Donald Trump is a real phony. That's it for today, folks. Come back and see us this tomorrow. Is we'll be the looking Bill for Press you. Show.